0: You are now listening to another episode of the Sales Development Podcast, powered by TenBound, hosted by David Delaney. I'm James Bodden, here to introduce episode 192, featuring Ryan Staley, founder and CEO at Whale Boss. Now, this episode is all about scaling your business through referrals, but before they dive in on the topic... They kick off the episode talking about Ryan's journey from scaling his own division through referrals to starting his own company and and what that journey was like for Ryan, the ups, the downs, and ultimately what his why is. The episode continues and David asks Ryan about how he dealt with the different emotions of making the jump from the corporate world into running his own business. Ryan talks about this really interesting concept of fear setting, something you need to tune in on. Ryan and David get really tactical as the episode goes on and they talk about ways to increase your business through referrals. Now, this is the real juicy part of the episode that you need to get out your pen and pad for, for sure. At the 20 minute mark, Ryan talks about where most people struggle with his program and scaling their business through referrals, some of the pitfalls that many people tend to fall into. The episode wraps up with David and Ryan talking about how folks can get in touch with Ryan to learn more about scaling their business through referrals. Look, this episode has such great advice and just hearing Ryan's story is so inspirational. His journey from being an individual contributor to running his own business. Folks that are individual contributors that maybe you're thinking about making that jump into the corporate world, this is the episode for you. If you love this episode, don't forget to leave us a review. Head over to 10bound.com. Enjoy episode 192 of the Sales Development Podcast featuring Ryan Staley, founder and CEO of WhaleBoss.
1: Boss. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am very honored and psyched to have Ryan Staley of Whale Boss on here. We're going to talk about how you can scale referrals. Ryan grew his last company division from zero to 30 million doing enterprise sales for a very, let's say, not the most cutting edge <laughs> product and brought that expertise into Whale Boss, where now he helps customers do the same thing. Ryan, how you doing today? Doing awesome, David. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, dude. I'm excited to have you on. Tell me, how do we do this? So first of all, how did you go from running this division to then starting your own company?
2: Yeah, so what happened was essentially, I was in the corporate space for about 20 years and I always had the bug to like the entrepreneurial bug. Like I always wanted to do my own thing. I always wanted to do something that I felt was a little more impactful than the type of solution that I was providing the customers. And don't get me wrong, there were some amazing People I've met along the way, there were some amazing experiences. However, I just wanted to do my own thing because I looked at my boss's job and my boss's boss's job and I didn't want either of them. (laughs) So that was part of it. And then I wanted to do something that was more meeting-based, right? So there's a lot of companies that I'm seeing out there now that think that funding, venture funding is the only way to grow and scale the way that they want to. Whereas if they just applied some of the core concepts, or first principles of sales and revenue growth, they actually don't need venture capital funding because the failure rates like 97% for seed companies. So yeah, so I love to help the little guy, the founders, and then also revenue leaders that have a massive amount of pressure because of investors from VCs or private equity. I went through private equity cycle multiple times. And so there's some scars from that.
1: Yeah, man. So that's my why. Yikes. Okay. That's interesting because I have very similar path. So I was in the corporate world for 20 years. And then I think it hit me. I was at a Dave and Buster's in Roseville, California. If you've ever been there, shout out Dave and Buster's (laughs) with a group of like 40 year old men on like a team building thing (laughs) for our corporate sales team. And it just hit me like, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I never want to do another team building at Dave and Buster's. So I was like, I got to start something. So I'm right there with you, man. Yeah, that's awesome. So <laughs> nothing wrong with Dave and Buster's. No, no. Dave and Buster's rocks if you're there voluntarily. Lots of props to Dave and Buster's. Was there a turning point when you're just like, I can't, like, I can literally you know, go back to that moment. Was there a turning point where you're like, I need to go from corporate to entrepreneur like right now?
2: Yeah. So <laughs> there's a couple turning points, right? But one of the big ones that hit me was like, so like you said at the beginning of the episode, we grew from zero to 30 million and it was annual recurring revenue, right? So that's a gift that keeps on giving. Plus there's another probably like 30 million in capital revenue on top of that. And so those were the results And what started to happen is we got bought by private equity and and the investors were really cool guys. However, it changed the dynamic of the company. And so what started to happen was they brought in new leadership in different positions, which is fine. I understand you got to make changes and, and things along those lines. But what started to happen was really interesting is the whole culture changed. One, and number two, my comp kept going down, right? So my numbers went up, my expectations went up, my comp went down and upward mobility went down. And so I'm looking at this and I'm like, why am I doing this anymore? And it was probably about two years prior, two and a half years prior to leaving. And, you know, I remember like fighting for comp on certain deals and I'm just like, this is just getting ridiculous. You know, it's not heading in the right direction. And, you know, kind of like you like you had your epiphany moment in the middle of Dave and Buster's like, is this all there is? Right. <laughs> and so what happened from there was I progressed. I started working on my brand and, you know, I communicated that internally with my boss and the CEO. I'm like, Hey, I'm doing this, you know, I'm creating a course. And basically in the middle of COVID, you know, baby bird kind of got pushed out of the nest. So it was March 30th. They called me into HR's office and they're virtually, I should say. And they said, hey, you can't do your own thing anymore on the side. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, because you know, you should be giving everything that you have to the company. And so now granted, the CEO took zero pay at that time and they furloughed a lot of people. I mean, I was still heavily dedicated. It wasn't like I was, you know, I was working a good 50 hours a week with my company. And then whatever I was doing was on the weekends or, you know, at night, right? And so then the next day we pulled in a really, really, really big profitable deal with like a fortune 500 company and got it committed. And this is right after going through all the calls of like customers and revising payment terms. Cause this is when everything was getting shut down, David. This is like the mass uncertainty height. And the next day they called me and they're like, Hey, you know what? You can't work here anymore. We had an investor meeting and you, you can't work here anymore. I was like, okay, this is awesome. And so that like, sped up the process, I would say, but literally it was one of the best things in the world that ever happened to me because it was something that I needed to do, but I was trying to play the safeguard and do it gradually. And it forced me to go all in. And so it's been a really eye-opening experience, but it's amazing because I'm working with CEOs now and coaching them on how to scale revenue. And I love doing it.
1: That's amazing. So at the time, were you like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me? Like, was it a gut feeling that you had? Or were you like freaked out for, you know, months, years, and then you're like, okay, I got to go full in on this?
2: Well, so this was March 31st of last year. So 2020. At first, I was like, all right, this is what you wanted, dude. Time to go all in, you know, like uh, you got what you asked for. Yeah. You got what you asked for, man. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> that was good. Just, I don't know. I just, I felt betrayed kind of the way it went down. So I was there for like nine and a half years and performed at a high level when I vacations with people. And for them just to kind of do that just were, was not cool. That was a little hard to take at first, but you know, it's business. And I think at the time, you know, like this was right when the stock market dropped, like, I don't know. It's like 45%. So obviously like, I'm like, okay, it's going to bounce back, but like, we've never had a pandemic before, you know, like, I mean, we have, but in my lifetime, there wasn't anything like this. Right. And so at the time I was like, all right, well, you know what? I'm just going to make the best of it. And you know, my wife was uncomfortable at first because she's a planner. And so I just mapped out I'm like, okay, I did a fear setting exercise. Have you ever heard of that, David? Like fear setting? No. What is it? So yeah, man, it's pretty cool. Tim Ferriss, have you heard of him before? Yeah. He's got an awesome podcast, right? One of the early investors in Uber and Facebook. I don't know if it's Facebook, but Uber and maybe Airbnb. So guys are absolutely minted right now. But he did a TED talk on fear setting. And so it's like a lot of times you build out these massive downside, like saber-tooth tiger reaction physically to when things happen. And he's like, so really what you got to do is just write down like, hey, What's the worst thing that's going to happen if things don't go my way with this? And it's actually really settling because you you could map out. It's like usually a fraction of how bad it is your emotional response is to like unexpected bad instances. So I highly recommend it to anybody
1: that's trying to make a big leap. Okay. So you took that, you realized, okay, I'm not going to get eaten by saber tooth tiger. So you went into it. So how did you choose to get into this, what you're doing now and working with these Revenue leaders and CEOs to focus on referrals.
2: Yeah, ma'am. Actually, it's funny. I have a challenge coming up. Depending on when this is published, but I'm doing a challenge on this, which is like a five day live training on this. That's interactive for people because I've seen and I studied. Well, let me tell you how I got there. And I'll answer your question first. But so essentially, what happened was I was going through this, and I was at a conference. There was five thousand entrepreneurs there. This is like right before things shut down. And one of the top business coaches in the world, which is Tony Robbins, ranked by American Express, Amex, ranked him, I think, number three or something like that, which most people think of him as personal development and not, you know, a business coach. But like people will pay him over a million dollars a year plus equity just to get coaching sessions with him for like, I think it's like once a month or something like that for an hour. I mean, it's something ridiculous, maybe once a year for a couple hours. So Anyways, he asked the room of entrepreneurs, there's 5,000 there, how many people have referral systems like set up with that they track one KPI? And of the room of 5,000 people, there was only about 400 people with their hand raised. And then he asked the question again, he goes, how many people in this room have two or three referral systems in place? And then he goes, sit down. And there was probably like 300 people left. So I'm like, huh, this is a pretty good sample size, right? 5,000 people. <laughs> and you got like 350 people still standing. And he's like, that's like the number one way to double and triple your company is to set up referral systems as a part of what you're doing. And so that like put the bug in my head. And then what happened was I did a enterprise sales summit last year, focused more on sales drops, had some sales leadership components to it too. And I started talking to some of the speakers and just got great insights on, what the opportunity was. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try this referral thing. I started leveraging it for my business. And basically, that's the primary vehicle that I was able to grow. You know, I don't have an SDR, I don't have any paid ads, nothing like that. And I grew really fast and started talking to CEOs in my network or other people and started getting more and more referrals. And that's kind of how it all came about. And I'm like, you know, a lot of people could use this and it could really make a big impact on their life. And there's a lot more to it than just asking. You have to give first, which we could break down some more of the components, but that's kind of how I got started. And then I started talking to different CEOs and revenue leaders and stuff that I took for granted that I could do in my sleep. A lot of people were like, that's amazing. Like, how do you do that? So then once you stumble onto something like that, it's really eye-opening in terms of what kind of value you can deliver to other people.
1: Okay, dude. So, okay. I'm sold. First of all, how do I sign up for this? And how do I learn this? What do you have to do to bring this into the mix?
2: Yeah. So the challenge, I mean, it's really simple. There's a webpage we can put it in the show notes, but it's just www.referralsforrevenuechallenge.com forward slash go referrals for forward slash go. So it's a five day and like the beautiful thing is companies like once I went deeper, David, I realized there's companies like Dropbox that grew from 100,000 users to 4 million users in 18 months by leveraging a referral program. PayPal used one to create a virtual growth loop. Airbnb used one. So there's a lot of opportunity in there you know, for companies to leverage this. And it's one of those things when I talk to business owners, they're like, hey, this is something that we've always talked about. But we just haven't done anything on. So then I show them the numbers
1: and what's possible and then their heads like explode. Holy cow. Okay. So I'm over on whalesystems.com too. Give me the training right now. So what do I have to do? Give me the highlights. Like what are two or three things that people should do to start busting out their referral program?
2: Yeah. So in HubSpot's done research on this. So what I would say is there's multiple components to it. The simplest way, just, you know, because I'm trying to be sensitive to time is one of three things or probably four things. But the first thing is you got to understand like what the referral opportunities are, right? Because it's different if you have a digital solution versus like a $100,000 sale SaaS solution. So it, it really depends on what your offer is. And then you match it with the proper referral mechanism. So that's one. The other one is understanding customer peaks, like emotional peaks that they have when they work with you. And just like anything, you know, there's different emotional states that people go through when working with you and you want to time out the ones that are when they're super excited, right? then the next one is you map those and align those with your sales process, whether it be your primary sales process or your secondary sales process, which I absolutely love. It's what Palantir is using to grow their customer existing customer revenue. I think it's by like 36% per year. And then last but not least is the persuasion component, right? Leveraging Robert Cialdini's persuasion principle of reciprocity, and you give them something of high value that's unexpected first. And then based on their core monkey mind that they have, going back to when we were cavemen, they feel the need to reciprocate and give you something. And then that's when you ask. So it's like
1: basically layering those components on top of each other and then doing it repeatedly. So yeah, so that's it. Okay. So do you give them like, if they go through the training, do they get like a checklist or something? Cause it seems like this is a new behavior, right? So you'd want this like checklist, you know, sitting next to your desk through each relationship as you're going through and being like, okay, I'm building this, I'm building that. Because otherwise you just forget about this stuff. Like I've been hearing about, you got to get referrals for 20 years. Right. But I always forget. I just go back to doing whatever I was doing.
2: Yeah, well, that's why I like working with the revenue leaders or the executives because they identify or they create the processes. So the best way to do it, David, is to drop it in an existing process that already exists. And so I use like the behavior design behind Instagram that grew it from zero to a billion dollar value in 18 months. And so that's one of the things I leverage in the program is.
1: Well. Holy cow. Dude. Okay. Give me the highlight on that. How did they grow so fast? Because didn't they get bought out for billions when they had like 10 people? <laughs>
2: yeah. So that was Facebook bottom, obviously. So that's crazy. It's part of the Zuck empire. Yeah. So what that is, is really, it's pretty simple. It's based on the core psychological principles of a guy named BJ Fogg. He created the book, Tiny Habits, which is the research behind atomic habits, if you've heard of that. And it's an awesome book. It's long though. It's like probably like five, 600 pages. And the core principles come down to behavior equals motivation, ability, and prompt. Like it's looking at those three areas. So you just have to make it hyper simple for people to do versus making them highly motivated to do it. And then if you do that and you prompt them, then the likelihood of that activity is going to happen. So you kind of integrate those principles into like the normal sales process. And like I said, that's why I work with the leadership because then they could incorporate it into CRM, but reps could do it too. I've coached reps on how to do it and it works really well because sales cycle is usually cut in half. So they'll be at 50% of the time because it's from a known and trusted brand. And at the same time, the deal size could be anywhere from 125 to 150% bigger because they're not shopping you around as much because their buddy recommended you.
1: Why do you think, like going back to that Tony Robbins thing, why do you think such a small percentage of people do this? If it makes so much sense and it's just a question of changing your habits, is there some mental block that gets in front of, you know, putting a referral process in place? It's funny.
2: So, I'll address this specifically with SaaS because I've been talking to a lot of different SaaS companies and I work with quite a few and one of the big components, this is going to sound so weird, but a lot of companies now are Talking, they get a customer and then they don't talk to them again. Yeah. And so it's like the beautiful thing about this process is you could really truly help other companies grow their business by giving them first and creating stronger relationships, which in turn, you know, creates more pipeline for you continuously. And it just keeps going and going. You just kind of need to set it up the right way. And there's referral marketing out there, but it's different, you know? than what I'm talking about. So yeah, so I think you can make a big impact on the world. And that's why I'm super excited about it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, so when you introduce this to people, what do they struggle with? Like, you know, if they come back to you and they're like, yeah, this point one and 2 is working fine, but I'm not getting through point three or something like that. Or is there anything that comes up that they're like, this is tough?
2: Yeah. One of the biggest mistakes I see is, something funny, HubSpot did a research on it. People just don't ask. That's part of it. They just don't do it. <laughs> That's step one, right? You're not gonna have a six-pack if you never work out. The other example is that people don't ask the right way. They just ask open-ended versus asking specifically. So they'll ask someone like, Hey, do you know anybody that this could be of value to that you could refer me to? And majority of people's brains don't automatically think of three to five referrals. Whereas if you come to them based on what you see in their network, who's in their network and ask specifically for these people, tell them which ones they agree with and which ones they don't, then you're asking for your target market versus just asking the general ask. It's like the equivalent, David, of like an SDR just being like, all right, I'm going to call a tech company versus like, I'm going to call a tech company in the financial services vertical that has less than 200 employees less than 20 million in revenue, and I'm calling the CFO. There's a big difference in outcomes when you take those different approaches. So that's why people usually okay. fail.
1: Okay. And can SDRs use this also, or does it have to be someone running a full cycle sales?
2: No, I think it can be integrated. Like that's the beautiful thing. Like if you're a bigger org, it's going to span across a couple different departments, but it depends on, I guess, like SDRs might be a piece of it, but it's usually the person who develops a relationship with the client. So if the SDR is not involved with developing a relationship, you know, after the client, then they're probably not the best person.
1: Got it. Okay. So it may be in a pod structure where, you know. Yeah, it could be full cycle or, I mean, it's totally
2: relevant and it's like SDRs would be a really important piece to it. However, like it's, if you have SDRs, account executives and customer success, it usually would span across the different silos.
1: Yeah. So they again, have to work together, aligning the campaign, exactly. which is why you'd work with executives. Okay. So what's next for you? What are you building now? You said you have a challenge coming up depending on when this goes live, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It should align with the timing of this that we spoke about. So yeah, I'm doing this. It's the referrals for revenue forward slash go and four is F-O-R. It's not the number four. So yeah, so I'm doing it. It's five days. It's live and I'm excited. It should be a lot of fun.
1: Yep. Okay. So what do we have to do? We go to that website and then sign up and what happens then?
2: Yeah, sign up and there's a couple options. There's a cost for the program. It's like pennies on the dollar though. And there's a regular package and a VIP package where there's additional live coaching that I provide afterwards. So yeah, I want to help people start like actualizing this right from the get-go. And then, you know, there's opportunities if they want to work more with me afterwards, like help them implement... At their company and a coaching environment, I could do that and help them set up the systems and get this executed. That's actually what I'm doing with CEOs and some revenue leaders right now.
1: Okay. How does that work? So they go through the framework program and then what do you meet with them for an hour a week or something like that? Or how does that work?
2: Yeah. So if they work with me, there's a couple of different types of engagements I have, but yeah, like one-on-one I'll work with them and I go kind of like macro to micro, understand their environment. Where, yeah, really legitimately only work with them an hour a week and then help them understand what are the best opportunities for them and then implement it. And then I have longer term agreements that I work with people too, where I, I also structure it a little bit differently. So, yes, yeah, so that's basically works one on one. And then my group environment, you know, I'm taking cohorts on and in groups of people to show them how to do this so I could scale and help more people.
1: Got it. Okay. Cool. So we'll sign up for the challenge, head over to Whale Selling. And how do people get in touch with you beyond those channels? Yeah. So, well, I'll tell you this. So my website is actually,
2: it's RyanStaley.io. That's the best. Oh, wow. Okay. Whale Selling is just my email address. That's why you're seeing that. But yeah, I would say that's, I have a podcast as well. Sales and marketing, build freedom. I'm in the process of rebranding that, just changing the name and updating it. But that's good. I would just say, check out the challenge and, and take a look at it. Really excited, put a lot of thought, tons of research into it to make sure it, it hits on all the levers of like companies, behavior, and then just share results. So super excited about it.
1: Dude, I'm very excited about it and I need to do it, man. So you might see me over there. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, you know, I really think that this is important for people to put into their mix. So I appreciate you sharing their wisdom on the sales development podcast. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks for having me on, David.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.